Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsborough, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor podcast. Hi, Amir. Hey, Rachel. Thanks for having me. It is such a pleasure having you. This is for all of you folks who are wondering, where should I invest? How do I know the numbers? Those are the crippling fears that I hear on a day-to-day basis. And it is something that I contended with, to be honest with you, for the first two years of just consuming information, consuming information, consuming information. And with just two or three tried and true tools, guys, I have been able to take the plunge, get the courage and get out there and start my investing. And I, every single time, I kid you not, I go back to the tools. Every property I'm looking at, I go back to tools and I wanted to bring you my top secret tool today, one of my top secret tools, and that is Data Rabu. So Amir, welcome, welcome. So guys, we have here with us the founder and CEO of Data Rabu. Can you introduce yourself to the people, please? Yeah, absolutely. Rachel, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invite. Really appreciate that. My name is Amir. I'm the CEO of Rabu. And what we believe in is we believe that short-term rentals can become an asset class for real estate investors like like your group. So we're building tools and services for them to be able to participate in the space. So really excited to be here. Love that you're utilizing our platform as a data tool for your for your for your team. So excited to provide any kind of insight and data I can into how we look at uh, properties, how we source properties what we do and hopefully, uh, you know, provide you guys some value. Awesome. Awesome. And we so appreciate you being here. It is such an honor for me. And so for those of you who have not gotten a chance to see this tool, I know we're all familiar with Zillow. You know, you get an address and you're wondering whether or not, you know, is this going to make a good short-term rental? You don't quite know. Zillow will give us some ideas of what long-term rentals are making in the area. And I know Zillow is very controversial, so don't come for me. But when it comes (laughs) to short-term rentals, it's going to be really specific, guys. And there's a whole different mindset behind that. I don't have to tell you, a lot of you already know about that. So Amir, I know we were going to jump into like looking at it a little bit, but I wanted you to just share with the people, why did you develop Data Rabu? Yeah, I mean, kind of give you a little bit of context and background. I actually, back back in the day, uh, I used to be a civil engineer. So I used to do that for a living and honestly just didn't like it. I just didn't enjoy being a civil engineer. I knew I wanted to do something else. I wanted to do my own thing. So I joined a tech startup in Charlotte, which is where Rabu was found in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that startup was eventually acquired by NBC. So I joined NBC, but my thought process at that point was, okay, what do I want to do next? How, like, what, what is the next thing for myself? And right around that same time period, we, my wife and I in Charlotte, have kind of purchased a house and that house had a detached garage and it had a room above that garage. It was basically a 200 square foot room and a bathroom, you know? 
being a guy, I was thinking, man, perfect man cave, right? I'm going to be over here, do my man stuff, just hang out, watch the games, do whatever I need to do. But, you know, I was married. Ha still, I'm happily married. And part of the reason I'm still happily married is because we, I decided not to turn that into a man cave. And instead, we decided to turn that into an Airbnb. And this was about five years ago, and we were just hoping for some discretionary income. Maybe we can make a few hundred dollars a month. You know, maybe it can help us kind of cover some of our, uh, you know, childcare because we had two little, two little boys at that time. And so we, we turned it to an Airbnb, furnished it, put it on Airbnb. And next thing we know, this, you know, little room above our garage is paying the mortgage on our house. I was just like, wow, okay. This is in a nice neighborhood in Charlotte, paying the mortgage on our house. Like there, there's something here. I was wanted to figure out what, it, what I wanted to do next up since previous startup. It's in my garage, right? Like it's like the old kind of like saying, "All start in the garage." It really did in this instance. So my wife and I basically said, "Let's go see if you find a few more Airbnbs." And the the way we initially grew grew was through the rental arbitrage way. I'm sure you've talked about that in your group before. So we did the rental arbitrage for a few properties, and again, this was about five years ago, so relatively early. And all those properties did really well. But once I got to about five properties. You know, I realized that it can become labor intensive without any tools, but I realized how big the opportunity was. So I had a co-founder that I brought in, James. He was with me at the previous tech startup that was acquired by NBC and basically said, hey, James, can you help build out tech to automate what we thought at that point would be like a hospitality brand for short-term rentals? You know, think about a Marriott for short-term rentals. So James jumped on and we really kind of took a full-time plunge into building a Airbnb hospitality company. But then right as we were starting to do that, we started to get approached by real estate investors. And they basically came to us and said, hey guys, you've heard about Airbnbs. We're really interested. Can you guys help us actually manage them? Can you help us find Airbnbs? Can you help us operate Airbnbs? So we said, interesting. That's an interesting take. Let's see where that goes. So we started building technology towards actually finding Airbnbs and optimizing operations of Airbnbs. And you know, we utilized tools that were out there, realized what we liked, what we didn't like, and kept kind of tweaking with it until we came out with our own tech suite, tech suite of tools. And Data Rabu was one of those ones that was really kind of the question we always got from anybody that wanted to turn a property into an Airbnb. How much can my property make as an Airbnb? And we had used other tools, you know, and I'm not knocking AirDNA because I think it's got great value. It does a good job providing data, but we wanted something simpler, something that's almost estimate-like, right? Where you can type in an address, you know immediately how much that property can make. So we decided to build data.rabu.com. Absolutely. And, and that is the feel that I get from it as well. Although, you know, we don't 100% hang our hats on it. So I just put this address in. This is a property, I kid you not, I literally went on Zillow. I found this address. So for those of you who have analysis paralysis in here, I get it. The infocrastination, I'm I'm with you. You find an address, you get an address, someone presents to you an address, you try your home address, right? You grab it, you copy it, you go to data.rabble.com, you scroll to the bottom, and then you'll see where you can add in the address. Once you add in the address, you already have this number here, right? And then, you know, with my group, my mentorship, we always like to operate in the 75th percentile, you know, but it's good to start off in the 50th percentile and you you get an average for the, the monthly rate there. And the next thing I like to do, and again, like Amir was saying, it is so easy to use. One of my, I mean, that's it guys, already that's it. 
already like you already have more information than most of the other tools or any of the other tools with what what was that three four clicks three four clicks right and so the next thing I like to do I'll go to the seasonality you know because that's gonna paint a picture right and that's a lovely picture as I'm looking at it so I put in the address again I put in the number of bedrooms I click to see the monthly rate for the upcoming month and then look Look at the seasonality, okay? And this is a property in Gulf Shores, Alabama. And, and these numbers are very high. You guys know I like to play around in the luxury space, but I find properties that are 3,000 a month, 1,500 a month, 2,000 a month. It just depends on the market, okay? So this one happened to be uh, really significant, okay? The next thing I like to do, because again, easy peasy, simple. Then what I like to do, I like to play with this sort by... I think the sort by is my friend. I want to sort by distance and I want to see who's the closest to me versus who's the furthest away from me, right? So I'll sort by distance and then I'll, I double sort so that the closest property to this property is three miles away. Sometimes there are properties that are a mile away or 0.1 miles away and that's how detailed and that's how you can start to really look at the comparative analysis piece. And the next thing I like to do is kind of investigate a little bit to see, well, what kind of amenities do they have? Well, this probably doesn't have anything, you know, and so on and so forth. So I don't want to go into a deep dive as far as features, features, features. Ultimately, I kid you not, this is one of the tools that got me out of the, the mind block, the stuckness, you know, because, you know, by the time I'm down the rabbit hole in some of the other tools, it's like, what was that first thing I was looking for anyway? But Data Rabble, it kind of lays it out for you right on one screen. You have a good idea of what that subject property is projected to make, but then you can go further and investigate what the other properties are making, um, whether or not they're missing the mark. Why are they missing the mark? What amenities are they missing? And so on and so forth. So that's a little bit of the comparative analysis. In fact, you found one of the Airbnb listings that didn't have any photos attached to it, which is why it had a little bit of a funky look. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. I didn't know that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Everyone. Yep. So look, I found a property, just opened it up, and already you can kind of see that this is a condo unit or a townhouse type of unit, and the reviews are quite dismal. <laughs> no offense. But that's potentially why this property is not going to be able to demand the type of pricing the subject property may be able to demand. So for me, again, um, I can look at the proximity to the subject property. I can, you know, kind of reduce some of that overwhelm that we get just by one glance. And I got to tell you, that is one of my favorite reasons that I use Data Rebel. It's not perfect, right, Amir? I know it has some gaps. But it's a really, really great place. If you're getting started, you just don't know where to start. I'm telling you, I go back to this tool, I want to say, if not daily, weekly, because that's I, this is my trusty tool. So definitely want to share that little demo with you guys. So, yeah. Thanks for demoing that. I mean, the tool, we're always looking to improve it. You know, it, it's close to impossible to get perfect data. The only way you would get perfect data on how a unit is performing is by actually having access to the listing. So we, we we take some measures to collect the data. We feel really confident about the data. There's obviously room for improvement, like with anything. And, you know, we have a product team that's continuing to look to, to create some significant improvements to this tool from improving the data accuracy, which is already we found it to be relatively accurate. We haven't had really 
too many or really any misses from like a man, this is, this was completely off to really one of the big things about this tool that we'd like to do. And I think you're doing a good job showing this, Rachel, is we give you an initial idea based on like properties in the area, but then we give you the ability to say, okay, is this an actual call? All right. Like you can select which property are most like mine, which properties are most operated, like I would operate my properties. And that will give you a pretty strong idea based on, you know, future performance of what we're capturing and then seasonality data of uh, what you should expect from a revenue perspective if you were to turn that property into an Airbnb. So, you know, this one, Gulf Shores is, is, is an extreme from a seasonality perspective. You'll see there's very few bookings in the, in March, sorry, in December through, you know, January, kind of the, the holiday months, but in the summer, you're able to charge a premium. This is probably one of the more extremes that you'll see from a revenue perspective, but that's okay. It's just something that you would need to get prepared for as a owner of this asset. If you were to, to acquire it, you would have to know that, Hey, I'm going to make 60% of my revenue between June and July and everything else is really going to be to offset, offset those numbers. And that's what so we do. Still, and this still is strong, still pretty strong, right? Sure. Absolutely. Still Absolutely. And this, oh, Mm-hmm. So, and this is all based on like, historical data. So we took data from 2018 and 2019 to come up with these uh, seasonality projections. We did not take 2020 into account because of COVID and that just, you know, kind of threw seasonality for a loop. So we, we utilized here, we utilized data, historical data from 2018 and 2019 to help create the seasonality projection. Awesome. So we got our first question, Mir. Does these estimates include fees and taxes, and I'll add in there cleaning fees as well. So does it include fees and taxes and cleaning fees? No. So this is strictly on a nightly rate uh, basis. So what is being charged on a nightly rate for the, uh, per night? So what, what does the calendar say my nightly rate is for, you know, tomorrow and Friday and any days prior. So it does not account for anything besides the nightly rate. Impressive. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. I so appreciate it. And I see you all who are on here. Appreciate each and every one of you jumping in on this and getting this information because I'm pulling out the stops, guys. This is literally what I use. (laughs) I can't overemphasize that enough. I actually use this tool and I love bringing to you, you know, the tools that I use that I know have impacted our decision-making because I kid you not, in our mentorship, we have students that are closing on homes that are winning. However, as much as they're saying yes to properties, we have used this tool to say no to other properties in our mentorships. And so that's, that's important. Getting a good deal is important, but getting away from a terrible deal is so important as well. And we've seen both sides of that coin. And I'm really, really excited about using Dana Rabu. And that's what we have used to say, oh no, <laughs> this might not work, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love that comment, by the way, Rachel, because I think that's equally as important. Yes, we want people to gain confidence in buying a property based on this tool, but we want them to do the other as well. We want them to utilize the tool and say, hey man, oh wow, I thought this was going to make me more than data is telling me it's going to make. It's probably not a good investment property. And honestly, that's as big of a win as buying the right property because, you know, we're a big believer in kind of the abundance mindset. The more people know about the space, the more people invest in it, the more we'll all benefit from it. I'm not one of those believers. Our team is not one of those believers of one to rule them all, right? So we very much believe in, let's give data to others because it's going to make us all more 
that's the goal. And that's why this is a free tool. And, and, and you just touched something because I don't think we mentioned that in the beginning. Guys, this is a free tool. <laughs> Can you hear it? Imagine this is a free tool. And I'm always holding my breath because one day if I see a new pop up, Amir, I hold my breath because I'm like, is this the day we're going to search page on this tool? And so I so appreciate it being free. I'm not sure how you can swing it, but tell us a little bit about that. What, when should we expect to start paying for this tool? Because this is insane that it's for free. Honestly, we have no plans to, to charge for this tool. Uh, there might be some, uh, some more premium versions of this tool in the future that we may charge for, but it's not on the kind of, what was you call it, in the, in, the, in, the, in the tech world on the roadmap to do so. So right now, the idea is to keep this free and to continue making updates to it. We believe it's part of a, a larger value add that we create as a company. So th there's no plans to to charge for what you're utilizing right now anytime soon. Okay, guys. So if you are not using Data Rebu, you are leaving money on the table. Seriously. You're looking at deals and not quite sure, you know, how to analyze them. I kid you not. Data Rebu has informed us so much on the decisions that we are making. Each property that we purchase or each property that we evaluate, we put it through this app, this free tool, okay? We put it through this free tool. We scour through, we're looking at com comparative analysis. We're looking at our competition. With this tool, guys, let me give you the inside scoop. With this tool, we're able to go in and see our neighbors, potential neighbors, how they're pricing their properties, because that information, I don't know if you're aware, but it's not visible <laughs> on the front end. You get an average, you know, of the pricing over a period of time. But I can see from day to day to day how my potential competitors are pricing, whether they're using dynamic pricing or not. And this is something that we go over into the mentorship. But I absolutely I, I'm such a fan. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Amir, how are investors using it? You've heard me rant and rave. You tell me, how are investors using this tool? Yeah, I mean, it really, it's probably not too dissimilar to, to how you're using it. You know, they find subject properties that they're interested in and they come directly to this tool. They type in the address and see real quick what their revenue potential is. So probably exactly what you just did. They run the looking around, saw a property that looked interesting. They come in here to type in the address and they get a revenue projection. We have shared with some of them. Um, so we do have a, a, a email that we send out twice a week where we have identified properties that we've sourced for, for investors that has a little bit more of a detailed breakdown, including, you know, cash on cash return, the cap rate, the gross yield. So we encourage them to use those spreadsheets to kind of get down to the, the return numbers based on different factors, but they're doing really not too dissimilar to what you're doing right now, which is typing in the address. Can I give you a different address to try? Because I think it'd be fun to try something different if you're okay with it. Oh, absolutely. Um, so if you go up to the search bar in the top, let's try, type in 710-710 West Trade Street. Uh, and that's in Charlotte. Uh, yeah, do Charlotte, not Dallas. Yep, there you go. And then just four bedrooms, fine. We can do a two bedroom or something lower. Um, so this is kind of what you were, actually, can you change that to a two bedroom? This is a new feature that we also added. We give you the ability to search for multiple bedrooms at a time, multiple bedroom ranges. But if you click apply filter here, so what this tool will do is it will show you up to a hundred comps. You'll see here the radius for this is 1.5 miles. It's right under the address. And this will show you the uh, up to a hundred comps in the area. And this is perfect to what you were talking about earlier, Rachel. So now you can click on any of those listings. And if you click on the count and the pricing, you can see how their pricing going forward. You can see how many dates are available, 
other pricing. So you'll see these people have just a flat nightly rate set for the immediate future. This, that's why they're probably not booking out as well. Pricing, you'll see that dynamic pricing. That's why that unit is performing better than uh, than the other one, hence the occupancy. So there's, there's some tricks in the trade that you can even just learn from playing around with pricing strategies and performance of the units that are that are showcased here. And again, you'll see that th these are within a tenth of a mile of the subject address. Awesome, awesome. And you're seeing all the amenities. This one's at 97% occupied, 20%. Look at all these amenities, uh, the dynamic pricing. This is a, a listing that appears to be optimized. The heading is eye-catching. This, yep. this is absolutely fantastic. Yep. There's, there's a lot you can learn by just spending time on there. So creative uptown charm, or if you go back to the other listing, it adds, you know, a much city center, two bedroom, one gig Wi-Fi, king bed, gym, salt water pool, already standing out, right? If somebody's scrolling through that, you can also look at the quality of picture, you know, one to the exterior, the other one shows you what, what the interior is going to be look like. So there's a lot to be learned just from just playing around uh, on the tool and seeing how other Airbnb hosts are, are utilizing it. Yeah, absolutely. We we have a next question. So the question for Parisi is, what is the difference between this and AirDNA? And so let me tell you my experience as far as the difference. I felt as though to get to the rentalizer tool, and it may be me, to get to the rentalizer tool, which I use. I use it for one purpose only. I add the address into the rentalizer tool to get an idea of the market occupancy. And this is something we teach in our mentorship. I just want to know the occupancy. So for example, one of our mentees brought a property to me and uh, we added it to the rentalizers. That's step one, the free rentalizer tool. To add it to that tool is a little clunky. You need to log in every time. So it's a little bit clunky, but once you get the address, I get the occupancy, but that doesn't tell me anything else. So what I'm looking for with the occupancy, you know me, I want a 50% or higher occupancy rate. Then I know there's a demand for travel, right? However, this property they brought me, it was like a 26% occupancy rate. So that wouldn't fly for me at all. So once I saw that 25% or once I see the 50%, I then get informed that this is probably a good market. I turn off the rentalizer tool, I move on to a Rabu. And that's all I use it for. I will only use the paid subscription to AirDNA if I'm really going to break into a new market and I have a few things under contract, that's when I use the paid. I want to look a little bit more and to kind of break that tie with that Arabu. So for me, the AirDNA free rentalizer tool just gives me occupancy. The other numbers don't matter to me. I feel as though they're kind of, they cast such a wide net. It doesn't really tell me if that property that I'm looking at is, say mine is a 19 built in 1930, two bedroom. Well, you have another two bedroom that was built in 2022. It doesn't give me a good enough comparison. Whereas that Rabu, I can drill down to the neighborhood. I can look at each property of what is a condo, if one is a townhouse. I can then see the similarities within like just a small vicinity. So all I need, I have a hundred comparables, all of these 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.2, and then I can sort, because honestly, what I do is I sort. I want to see who's charging the most. And then I want to see, can I make my property do that? <laughs> and if not, well, where does it fall into the spectrum of things? So that's that's how I use it. But I'm going to let you answer the question, Amir. What is the difference between AirDNA and DataRabu? 
Yeah, I mean, that, honestly, I think you did, did a really good job there, Rachel. I think AirDNA is a good tool. I think it does a good job telling you about the markets. And we used to be users of AirDNA ourselves, but we didn't think it did a good enough job actually telling you about the property that you're interested in and the opportunity that you had in front of you. You know, first of all, it was too hard to get to the rentalizer. And then, you know, the results were kind of high levels. Like, hey, here's a projected occupancy, here's a projected nightly rate and projected revenue, but you couldn't do anything else with that. So we wanted to build a tool that just gave us immediate answer of what the revenue potential was, but then gave us the ability to really select the true comps to our property so that we could get what we believe was the best estimate for the revenue potential for our asset, for our property. So it was really to get more property specific and allow us to build a high confidence revenue projection for our asset and not just, you know, keeping everything high level. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have another great question. Does past data account for market growth, new homes in a market when determining current monthly rate? Great question. So past data is really focused on basically uh, historical seasonality data. What in what months did what markets perform the best? And, you know, we, this is actually data that we purchased from a different data provider that tells us, hey, in this market, this is the average for this market. Here's the seasonality index of high performed in different months. So it does not account for some of those net new growth of property factors. That's more done by what we do in the kind of forward revenue projection. When we scan the current listings that are available, when we understand how much they're charging, what their occupancy rate is, that is accounted for in that, in the kind of the forward facing aspect, the backward facing aspect is relying on historical seasonality data to know what fluctuation we should expect throughout the kind of the year for that asset. Awesome. Good question though, Coach Kev. Elizabeth is asking, what are some up and coming markets for STRs that are not overpriced already? (laughs) That's a good- Oh man. Now, uh, Rachel, I guess I have a question for you. Do you have like a market preference in the sense of like vacation markets? Are you also open to urban markets? You know what I mean? Like in Atlanta, for example, or Charlotte, or, or are you more, is your group more focused on, you know, vacation destinations? I know there's sometimes there's those two kind of hats that people wear. Some are indifferent, some care one way or the other. So I'd love to kind of ask that question first, so I can tailor my answer towards the way your group is focused. Yeah, we're open. We're wide open. So we have some that are investing in vacation rental locations and some that are investing right in their own backyard. Because if the numbers, you know, make sense and if the regulation makes sense, well, why not? Right. So we're yeah, not- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, really, uh, the biggest focus should be in the South, Southeast right now. And just where the best opportunity for uh, ROI. So most anywhere in the Carolinas uh, is really strong. And now there's some restrictions in like Charleston, for example, Charleston center city. But anywhere like Charleston adjacent into Columbia is a market that we're seeing lots of activity in. The Charlotte area, Asheville, North Carolina, and adjacent to Asheville, the North Carolina mountains, the kind of Tennessee mountains. So the kind of the Pigeon Forge area, Sevierville, we've seen a lot of success in uh, up there. Honestly, anywhere in Florida, if you can find something in Florida, Florida is booming right now. If you can find something in Miami, crazy market. I'm actually in Miami temporarily. Uh, the Tampa area, Orlando up in the Panhandle, all great. Texas is strong. I'm a big believer in um, Texas Hill Country. So kind of the area between Austin and San Antonio, I think is a great opportunity around Cannon Lake out there, Dallas as well, into Phoenix and Tucson. There's some smaller markets that have opportunities uh, that are kind of like hidden 
Greenville, South Carolina. There's some zoning restrictions there, but Greening, South, Greenville, South Carolina is strong. Those are kind of the markets that we've seen the best success in the South, Southeast. So really, if you're out in the South, Southeast, you're in a good spot for the most part based on property value and revenue opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, guys, Amir, he has the goods with the data. So he just dropped a whole bunch of gems. I really hope you're taking notes because I was taking mental notes and I'm going to review back to make sure that we're in alignment. I got to tell you, most of uh, those spaces that you just shared. Yeah, absolutely. Those are the areas that we're we're looking at investing in as well. Erica is saying, how worried are you about seasonal locations effect on profits, i.e. off-season, no or less money? How to buy and plan to avoid profit dips due to seasonality? And we saw a little bit of that with that home that we saw in Gulf Shores. But I would imagine I dip. is the dip so long and is so far down that you can't make your monthlies. That's my first question I tend to ask myself. If my mortgage is 2000 and the seasonality is for three months out of the year, it's at 3000 but then the rest of the year, it's really, really good. I can kind of plan what we do. We plan and we project for that. And we know we need to save up to cover expenses and so on and so forth. So we don't want half of the year to be, you know, completely dismal, you know, but if there are seasons, a couple of months a year where it's a little bit low, um, how low is it? And can I still book? Uh, is that my opportunity as a lifestyle investor to then go and enjoy my property? So on and so So those are things I think about. What about you, Amir? I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, I mean, I think those are great points. Uh, obviously, you know, with a high seasonal vacation market, that's certainly the downside. You know, this is Charlotte, a market that's much more flat. As you'll see, you know, the delta between January and July is still about, what, 40% or so-ish, but it's not as high as it was in some of those seasonal markets. So a couple of things, obviously planning ahead is the most important thing you can do. Yeah, that, you know, in, in Gulf Shores, I think it was July, that was, you know, the, the peak month that feels great, but you just need to be smart about planning, you know, having reserves in place for the slower months. The other thing, though, that we've seen a lot of success in that I highly recommend anybody doing in a seasonal market is if you know there's seasonality coming, you know, if you're in a beach market and you know that, you know, it's going to be slow from December through uh, February, find monthly guests. Uh, so the new kind of wave of people work from anywhere, make an offer, find a tenant that is willing to stay for a month plus at the property that will pay you enough to cover your expenses, maybe even make some money off of it, versus try to find a few kind of weekend stays. Aggressively market the property for 30 plus days only and having guests that are staying there for a month or two at a time, that can really reduce that burden significantly. You can always change it to a couple of days, kind of close to that time period if you're not finding anybody to stay for a few months. But you know, but what I would recommend doing, for example, in August, September, knowing that December is going to be slow, change the minimum nightly stay in December to 30 days, for example, and see if you can get somebody in there for an extended period of time. They'll feel like they got a good deal because they're staying in a property that's expensive for a few months and just able to R&R and like work from somewhere else remotely and experience a new culture, a new, new lifestyle. Uh, but it'll cover your bills too. We're seeing a lot of that. We have our own portfolio of homes. We have about 150 homes. Our average length of stay right now, uh, is just most, we're mostly in urban markets, is about uh, 44 days. Pre-COVID, it was two and a half. So that kind of gives you an idea of 
you know, how that has changed. There's definitely a lot of opportunity, especially in the low seasonality months to find some, some long-term tenants in vacation destinations. That was amazing. So those were some fantastic tips. The length of stay, that is a wonderful tip. So thank you so much for dropping those gems to the group, Amir, because pivoting, right? If you're paying attention to your portfolio and you know what's coming down the pike, if you can pivot, and that's a beauty of short-term rents, if you can quickly pivot and say, you know what, let me make some changes. Let me pull some of these levers and make some tweaks to make it happen for me and my family, my portfolio. So I absolutely love those tips. Our next question comes from Believe. She asks, any ninja tips for those of us building our portfolio via the rental arbitrage model initially? Any ninja tips? Ninja tips for rental arbitrage. Just, you know, I'm trying to say, try to think of the best way to say it. Ninja tips is do, do the same amount of underwriting you would do that if you were uh, buying the asset. I know it's a little bit less risky, but it's still a lot is on the line. So you know, you should look to feel really comfortable that you'll be able to kind of cover the arbitrage piece of it kind of on a sustained level. So I can't under kind of state that, you know, I would probably transparently speaking, do more of like a data analysis on a, a arbitrage play than I would on an actual acquisition personally, just because, you know, if you hold the real estate, there's some upside in, in, you know, the asset growing in value, you can still gain some return there, unfortunately. If you're doing the arbitrage, you don't have any upside in the asset growing and appreciating, right? So uh, I would do a little bit more analysis there and haggle with the price a little bit more just to make sure that you feel comfortable with that delta because, you know, there's upside obviously in the arbitrage place, but your upside is only in the, you know, arbitrage. There's not, not so much in the actual appreciation of the asset. Wow. That was a gem right there. That was huge. So what Amir is telling us is he's a little bit even pickier with the arbitrage in terms of the numbers have to really, really make sense because he doesn't have any equity to fall back on. So absolutely. I absolutely, I absolutely love that perspective. I don't think I've heard it, you know, said that way. So thank you so much, Amir. That is gold. Any additional insight? And I know some people talk about whether I know you mentioned Florida and everyone's afraid of the hurricanes or the beach properties and so on and so forth, which is something that can happen. Um, any, any more comments on that, Amir? Yeah, from my personal experience, those fears have always turned out to be overrated. You know, so I've been in, in Florida now for about a year. Uh, we made a move down here because we just actually opened up a hotel here in Miami Beach. And I have yet to have any kind of hurricane issues, right? There's never, there hasn't been a hurricane while I'm here, obviously not on wood. We've, for the most part, we've seen those things to be more of like a fallback fear than, than a true event that to worry about. We have assets that are in the path of hurricane. One that we've had for the longest is probably in Savannah, Georgia. So we have two duplexes in Savannah, Georgia that had to have been evacuated maybe three times in the last four years because of hurricanes. And, uh, you know, it wasn't fun. It actually worked out great because people would usually escape. Savannah and come to like Charlotte or Atlanta, and we'd be able to generate some revenue there because of that. But for the most part, it's really more uh, of, uh, in a sense, manufactured fear than and a real problem based on our experience across what we've seen so far. I love that. Hope that helps. Yeah, absolutely. It helps, Samir. And it really, it's another thing with that mindset and getting, getting us unblocked because. One of our philosophies is everything is figure outable, right? So we have insurances in place. We have absolutely 
you you know you have your scripting you there is a script in our template to what do you tell the guests when there's a hurricane and they're in that path or when there's a tornado and they're in the property and so all of these are things that if you think can happen well let's prepare for it let's go through the worst case scenario and let's prepare for it and then you know you're good to go i think yeah that's what we do it's figure out yeah i mean Oh, right. And, and the golden rule that has served as well when it comes to like, how should we react in the situation is put yourself in a situation of the guests and think about how you'd want to be treated if you were in their shoes. And if you do things that way, you'll have zero issues. You know, worst case scenario, you'll, uh, you'll sleep better at night versus worrying about a few dollars that you might've made if you would have been more stringent about a certain policy. So uh, that's something that's always worked out for us. If possible, I highly recommend others kind of put it, uh, implement it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this month we're celebrating one of our members of the group is that heart centered hosting. So, you know, just kind of put your guests in yourself and your guest shoes and walk that journey with them. You know, it really goes a long way, changes that whole dynamic and the perspective. So I absolutely love and I appreciate that, Amir. Another question. <laughs> is it possible for your product development team to put another layer, I told you he was analytical, of analysis that differentiated the market gaps, the homes that allowed pets versus those that don't, and help investors determine a nightly rate based on those data points. In short, what does my offered value mean from a nightly rate standpoint? Does my pet offer equal $10 increase a night or $20 increase a night? Oh, that's such a great question, Coach Cap. Because I'm just kind of like, you know, shooting by the seat of my pants when I do that. I'll call, you know, some of the places that board the pets and I'll get kind of an idea of it, right? But I, I don't have the specifics like Coach Cap is asking. This is fantastic. So if you go to all filters, we realize that we've not done a good job Make, making people understand that this is a filter they can drop into. But uh, there's a section here. So here, from this section, you can increase the radius of homes that you're analyzing. We immediately, when we do a search, we, uh, we stop at uh, 10 usually, but you can do that. You can change the radius here and we, we expand the radius until we get at least 10 comps. So here you can search for the number of reviews that the property has, the number of comps that you show, the minimum occupancy. If you don't want to see anything with 0% occupancy, if you only care for properties that have high occupancy, like 30%, if you want only properties that have a certain ADR, uh, average daily average daily rate, you can do all that here. But here's the one thing that I wanted to show. There is here where you can click list pets. So you can now see properties that allow pets. And if you click, click apply filters, you'll see that here's 14 units in a two and a half mile radius that allow pets. On average, they're bearing about $4,400 a month or 146 rep hand. If I go back here and... If you select that, you can see all on average, bear with me, it's, well, it actually went up. So it actually makes, they, so far, properties that allow pets make less money based on the data that we have here. So let's double check that without pets. That was just without a pet policy. Yeah. So in this instance, uh, in this market or in this area, this is close to where I'm staying right now, pets actually, properties that allow pets make less money, which is surprising. It, it can go one, it can go both ways, but we do have that as a feature here. Uh, play around with that. It's not like this, I promise you, it's not like this in every market where that uh, is actually lower, uh, that not allowing pets is lower, but some people have that preference of not allowing pets because of pet allergies. 
Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And you're absolutely right, Amir. This is where I kind of drew the line. Initially, we were not pet friendly, but our pet friendly properties blew everything out of the water. It killed. So we strive to be pet friendly in every single one of our properties because we saw the difference that it made. But I'm from, yeah. I actually, we actually got married to Coral Gables. So I, I got to tell you, it's a different oh, nice. of people. <laughs> It's a, yeah. a little bit more higher in hoity toity. So I'm from Miami. So Amir, you're in my neighborhood for sure. Yep. Yeah. Pools yeah. area is very like high end. So I, I could totally see. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it is. It's definitely more of a, a high end area when it comes to that. So they're probably not as pet friendly um, as, you know, especially vacation markets. I'm sure in vacation markets, allowing pets is, is a significant value add. So, but that's the power of this tool. You can. You can figure out what make what strategy makes most sense for your, for you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Again, my share with you tonight was to get out of that analysis paralysis for 2022. There are tools out there with just seven, eight simple clicks. You can start to get an idea of yay or nay for a property. It's really um, not that complicated. And that's what I love about this too. Just easy to use straightforward, simple. And then if you want to dive deeper and deeper and deeper, you do have that opportunity again, guys. So any closing words tonight, Amir, I cannot thank you enough. No, thank you for having me. Good luck, everyone. I know uh, it's a fun ride to be on. Very few people that we've worked with that were in your shoes that actually regretted coming down this route. So uh, I applaud you for exploring this. You're in good hands with Rachel. So thank you guys so much for the opportunity to, to speak with you. All right, guys. Bye for now. I hope you're inspired. 